Men of Galilee, why are you still looking into the sky? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because this man Jesus suddenly started rising with the clouds. Maybe because we've never seen that before. Maybe because it seems like he's going this time and he's not coming back. I don't know why we'd be staring at the hole in the sky he's leaving or the hole in the earth that he's leaving or perhaps contemplating the hole in our hearts that we're feeling. Why should we be shaken up like a little thing by a man rising from the earth to the sky? After all, well, after all, we've never seen it before and we never will see it again. The only way we can get in touch with it is to imagine being there. It seems like a silly question. Why are you staring? Because it is almost, almost beyond belief. And you say, why almost? Because they were there. Because they were together. Because they saw it, and they heard it, and they believed it. So it is not beyond imagining for them. In fact, I doubt that they ever laid their heads down again to sleep, but they didn't have that picture in their mind. Do you? It's like being in that upper room the first time when Jesus appeared out of nowhere as if the walls were not made of walls, but were nothing more than a veil. You think they ever forgot that moment? Nope. Nope. Never forgot it. How could you? But couldn't you imagine it? Over and over and over again, if you had seen it, yes. Can you imagine it now? Can you? Yeah, you can, can't you? Sure you can, if you're willing to. You can imagine it if you let go of all that binds you in this earthly body, in these earthly surroundings, and take on another world perspective of reality. As long as you dwell with your feet in the dirt and have your minds on the things of the earth, dirt and have your head focused on the things you can touch and see, then you can never imagine that which you cannot touch or see and have never seen before because you shut your imagination button off. But if you let your imagination go to something bigger than that which you can touch and see and feel, if you can believe that the resurrection is real, then the joy that comes with that belief becomes greater than the reality of the earth in which your feet are planted. Do you believe that? I got one witness down here. The rest of you going, eh, not so much. You know, I don't do that. I'm not that good of an imaginer. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe we're so earthly bound we're not a lot of heavenly good. Possible? These men were not of the earth any longer. Why, they were going to throw everything in their past behind them, and they were going to go for it like they were rushing toward a place that was very real in their eyes, a place that they were going to ascend to after their death, just as Jesus did. They believed it with all their heart, with all their minds, with all their souls, and with all their strength. And nobody could talk them out of it. Nobody could cause them fear to chase it away. No, they were convinced of what Jesus said in John 12, 32. Before, long before this, when he said, 
after a lot of teaching and talking to the disciples and telling them about all the things that were going to take place, and they were trying to talk him out of going to Jerusalem, and he said, should I avoid the cup that the Father has prepared for me to drink? And then he gets to the climax of that thought by saying, if I am lifted up, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. Think about that. This is a promise Jesus made for them before they even could understand what he was talking about. If I am lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. God has a diagram in heaven, I'm convinced. It starts with a crucifixion. And the crucifixion points to death. And then from death, there's, a, there's an arrow that points toward resurrection. And then from that resurrection, there's an arrow that points toward, you're going to say life, right? I'm going to say joy. Because you see, people who have experienced and have believed in the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ have a joy that's unspeakable and a joy that can never be defeated. When they keep their lives grounded in the dirt upon which they trod, the heavenly vision of the truer reality than earth gets lost. It gets covered up, if you will. It gets to the point where life is often lived in a haze because we're so concerned with earthly things and doing the things that earth calls us to have to do, and we have to do them in order to be here, that we do not let heaven permeate the earthly realities with the heavenly realities that are truer and more everlasting than earth can ever be. And so I think we get stuck. I think we just get stuck. This same Jesus is a Jesus that told them in Matthew, I mean, excuse me, John chapter 15, verse 11, after a long set of teaching about telling them to be connected, the vine to the branches, and he's the vine and they're the branches. Then he went on to say, Abide in me. Stay connected. And then he went on to say, when you're connected, you'll be fruitful. And then he went on to say, as a climax in a sense, in 1511, if you abide in me, you will realize that these things I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you so that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you. And that your joy may be made full. Promises after promises after promises. And as soon as in just a couple more weeks we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, these promises are going to all fall into place and make more sense than they ever have to these men who are hearing them. For all of those on the other side of the resurrection, for all those on the other side of Pentecost, a different life is about to unfold. And life on this earth will never be the same. And when you think about it, it begs the question. So I'm going to ask you the question that is begging. The question is simply this. Are you living with great expectations of joy? Is your daily routine marked by joy? Or your troublesome moments when life wants to overcome you characterized by joy or by defeat? Or your thoughts centered in joy and in the very gift that the promise of God came in Jesus Christ, 
or are you bared down, pushed down because of the trouble of living on this earthly soil? Now, I'm not talking about earthly happiness. There's plenty of that. I'm talking about heavenly joy. I'm talking about something that is so much bigger than happiness, it makes happiness look like a bad thing. Can you imagine that? We get so happy about things on earth, and they're so fleeting, you know? I'm happy when I, I went the other day to watch Miller play in some of his first baseball games, and my mind went flashing back to the days when I played baseball all the time, and when I could bend down and touch the earth with my glove and catch the ball. Last time I tried to do that, I fell over and I said, okay, that's, that day's gone. <laughs> I remember, though, in that day, I remember when I could pick up the ball and I could throw it underhanded at first, and the guy would be halfway down the baseline, and I would grin because everything worked perfectly. And I thought, man, it'll never be this good again. No, I didn't. I didn't imagine there'd ever be a time it wouldn't be that good. That's why I went out that day and fell on my face. I thought I could still do it 40 years later. But you don't know that then, do you? You think those things that you can do then will be the things you could always do. You think that that happiness that you felt then is the greatest happiness you'll ever know. And it's really not, but it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. I loved it. I've had many moments of happiness in my life. But the joy that I have now is untouchable. Nothing. Nothing, no amount of years, no amount of challenges, no amount of illnesses can take away the joy that I have in my heart because it's not happiness. It's joy, and it's based in Jesus, not Doug. That kind of joy is what I'm talking about this morning. Are you living with great expectations of joy because of the resurrection of Jesus? Because, you see, without that resurrection, there is nothing to be joyful about. You see, now, preacher, that's just too harsh. Really? Imagine no resurrection. Tell me how joyful you feel now. You're not going to live forever. You're not going to see your grandparents when you go to heaven. You're not going to see your children who've gone before you. You're not going to see your brothers and your sisters. In fact, you're not going to see anything. You're just going to see the blackness of nothing. Now, tell me how joyful you feel about that. We're so used to the idea of heaven and living forever that we've lost some of the joy of it because we take it for granted. We forget what life was like before that, where there was no conception of living everlastingly. There was no concept of living with God. The idea that God could come to earth, foreign to us. The idea that God could come to earth and live among us, foreign to us. The idea that God himself would become a human being and die for me, foreign to us. Even more foreign, he could die for you. That was a joke. Thank you. Get with me here. Don't leave me. The idea that heaven is real should not be so hard for us to grasp. I'm going to come back to that. But for right now, I want to tell you about a movie Saturday I went to see. And critics will tell you it's poorly done because that's what they say about all Christian movies. Because after all, Christian movies are done on the cheap, right? Christian movies are a little sappy, right? Especially if you're a New York writer writing about those movies because you're comparing them to these overblown productions about that which is not real. 
acted out by people who didn't do it, playing with their imaginations, trying to be something they have never been, and we treat that like that's real. Christian movies are usually based upon people that were real and upon their lives. They usually are done on the cheap compared to the others. But that doesn't mean that their truth is cheap. Now, Sally and I spent the last week in Branson, Missouri, for the most part. We spent the better part of one day driving through western, southwestern Missouri and northwestern Arkansas. Wouldn't recommend that. There's no way to get anywhere there except this narrow, winding road. Just don't do it. It was necessary because where we could stay, and we had a great-grandnephew to go see, great-nephew to go see, and he was cute, but not worth six hours in that road. <laughs> but it was worth every minute of it to Sally. I know. Sally, would, you know, it was okay. It was okay. Wouldn't recommend that trip. I thought I was back in Kentucky in Appalachians. I forgot how it's like to live not in the land of plenty. One lane bridges. 20 years ago, cars parked in the car and hadn't moved in 20 years, parked in the yard. Yeah. You say, well, what's that? That's what it means to live outside of Dallas. That's what it means to get away from the cities and get to the backwoods where people are still living like they were living 40 years ago. That's what it means when things aren't painted freshly and white. That's what it means to go in a restaurant and change your mind and leave. That's what it means. You think, well, this place might be dirty. And you look around and they all look dirty. And the places look dirty. But they're alive and they're there. And they're living simply. We forgot about that. Because we live, after all, in sparkling Dallas. For a while I lived in Frisco where everything was new. And if it wasn't new, they were tearing it down so it would be new. As Sarah used to say, it was a fake world, and sometimes fake people move there. A lot of fake people move there. They like that world. We moved to Carrollton, and it was more normal. Now, it's not very normal. It's still North Dallas, but compared to Frisco, it looked like, yeah, we're slumming it now. <laughs> Everything wasn't new. Some restaurants were actually old again. Some places were having to be replaced and painted. It was like what I grew up in, only better. So you see, I've seen it all, and it's all comparable. It allows your imagination to work. So when you think about these disciples sitting here watching this, Sally took me to this movie. Can you imagine? I said, okay, I go to the movie. I was really quite content. It was cold, and I was happy where I was. But we need to get out, she said, so we got out. I went to the movie, thoroughly prepared to see a movie and go home. Not prepared to put my imagination into gear, although I knew what the title of the movie was. I can only imagine. Hadn't been out that long. And then the movie started, and pretty soon I found myself right in the middle of it. Bart Millard is the lead vocalist and songwriter of the Mercy Me singing group. He was raised in Greenville, Texas. I used to go to Greenville. Maybe that started luring me in from the outset. That's where we went on dates. You know, we used to have those things. We actually had dates. Boys and girls went out. One, two, you, you, I'll explain it to you later. <laughs> and when you go there, that town, that's where he was in the town of Greenville. He grew up there. 
Bart Millard was a football player because that's what his daddy was like. That's what he wanted to be like. But he could not be as good as his daddy along the way. The story tells us that he uh, had an injury to both his ankles. He could no longer play football. So here he was in his own eyes, worthless to his father because he could no longer be a football player. His father was an abuser, emotionally and physically. His mother couldn't put up with it, so left him at one point and abandoned him. So he was left in that household to be raised with his father, who was drunk often, angry almost always. He found refuge in a church, in a church camp, and in a little girl that he met at church camp who became his girlfriend in high school. Life went on. He started attending church, became a Christian Found himself in church, found himself singing, and found out, lo and behold, he had a gift. He didn't know he had it. It wasn't football. He could actually sing, and boy, could he sing. It was a surprise to him. His father never knew it, because after all, his father didn't go to those school plays where he sang. His father didn't go to church where he went to sing. Until one day, his father turned it on on the radio, and he wouldn't know it until years and years later. Soon, that all broke down, and he left home, and he went on the road with a music band. just couldn't make it happen until something happened in his life. He wrote the song that would be the changing point of his life, but it wouldn't happen then. It would only happen after failure, and he was driven back home because of music failure, because he lacked that something inside that was special and unique. He lacked that something that would make producers want to produce his music. He lacked something in his life, and so he went back as a broken Christian young man to get things right and find out what was missing in his life. He knew he needed to reconcile with his father, and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it because that man had hurt him over and over again, and he went back to that house, and there his father was, and that was it, and he did not want to forgive him and told him he could not. A Christian who could not forgive. Is it any surprise to us that he was a Christian living without joy? When Christians don't forgive, they live without joy. You can't claim the joy that you know in forgiveness and not give it to others. When you do, you're not fooling yourself and you're certainly not fooling Jesus. You are a Christian living like a Christian trying to without the joy that should be characteristic of it. You can't block out what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Christ and pretend to continue to be that Christian. It doesn't come across as genuine or true, and it didn't for him. But God was not through with him yet. As the story goes on, and I'll come back to that in a few moments. But I want to use that to say to us, to ask that same question again, are you living with great expectations of joy? And if not, why not? See, he wrote the words of his struggle there with that to a song called I Can Only Imagine. And he actually told somebody that he wrote them in about 10 minutes. And the person he told that to said, no, you didn't write that in 10 minutes. You've taken a lifetime to write that. Some of those words were I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine what it will be like to be surrounded by your glory. What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? And yet even when he wrote words like that, he wasn't experiencing the joy that comes with them, you see, because 
It wasn't in him yet because he was blocked by his own unwillingness to let Christ continue the work in his heart. Now, that's what it feels like, I think, to be a Christian and not be living with the reality of resurrection joy, which is what this whole series of post-Easter has been about, about us experiencing this resurrection joy that we need to have in our lives, that our needs to characterize our hearts, not just our hearts, but our minds as well. What is it like to have your life a reflection of that primarily above everything else? Joy with Jesus, right? That will give you great expectations. Even on earth, not because of what earth has to offer, but because of Jesus, the one who is with us on earth. I want to talk about three promises and Jesus made so many promises. There are just so many. But these are three just quick ones just for us to remember what it's like to have the joy of the resurrection be what we really believe life is about. First of all, it's about the idea that the sins of life are overcome. And that includes unforgiveness. Bart Millard was stuck because of his unwillingness to forgive his father. Even after when he went back home, his father had actually accepted Christ and had asked his son to forgive him. And he said, I cannot. Now we sit there and we say, how can you not forgive? The reality is it happens to a lot of people. A lot of people who are trying to live the Christian life, they refuse to forgive. And when they refuse to forgive, they give up the promises that Jesus gave us about defeating sin on earth. Because you see, the only way our sins are really taken care of on earth is when we relinquish them to God. And we allow God's grace to bathe them and heal them and to cause our wounds to be whole. It's only when we allow that to happen that we experience the joy that comes with the resurrection. This happened for this young man when he was singing that song for the first time before a huge packed audience. And it was a dramatic thing. I won't tell you all about that because you might want to go see that movie. It might be worth your price. You might be like Sally and I. She was reaching for the Kleenex, and I was just sitting there whopping away the water for half the movie. It's so sad to watch a child go through that, that pain of earthly sin. It's hard to believe that parents can be that cruel to their children, though I know it goes on in many households where the idea is kept secret for years and years. It's so hard to believe that people can survive it and find Jesus in the midst of it, but even he did. It's so hard to believe that even when they find Jesus in the midst of it, they can turn out to be so hardened by that experience in the past that they find it difficult to extend to others what they have received from Jesus themselves that forgiveness that every human being craves. But remember, there is a joy, the other side of the resurrection, in the imagination of those who are for willing to forgive everyone. Because you see, life is different when Jesus begins to be victorious in our lives. Second promise he made to them, some people are missing out on earthly living because of their fear of earthly death. Some people just don't use their imagination enough. It's a shame we grow up 
Children are so good at imagining stuff. They imagine things that don't even exist. You, you heard what, what the young man said this morning in the children's sermon. What is imagination? It's what you think is real and you imagine it even though you know it's not. Well, imagine what you can imagine that is real. You can't exactly see it, but you can imagine it. And it's real because it's real to you. It's real because even though I can't tell you exactly what heaven is like, when I was watching that, listening to that song, I began to celebrate in my life what heaven was like. It was so real that the next day we were driving down through the roads, and I was imagining my father singing. How did I do that? It was simple. I pulled out the old CD that I kept in my car that we would never listen to because of radio, and it's all quartet sounds that I can only listen to for about 20 minutes before Sally throws something through the radio. <laughs> I was driving that day, and I didn't say anything. The music was poor on the radio, so I just switched it over to the CD, and it started playing that old quartet music that my daddy sang all through my growing up years at home because he loved to sing the quartet music. And it started coming over, and I didn't say a word. I wondered how long she'd go, but it must have been a miracle she didn't say a word. Well, at least for about 20 minutes or 25. And every time there was a special bass part, I'd turn it up. Now, Daddy's been dead since 1995, but I could hear my father singing, and I could imagine that day when I'm going to sing with him. And it won't be in the bass voice he had, but I'll be singing with him in heaven, and he'll be surrounded by all those people who've died and gone there. And we'll be singing to our heart's content. As I told Sally, there must be a room there in heaven where you won't have to listen to quartet music. (laughs) Because I'll be in a room where there is. And I know you'll have to have a heavenly place too. And I'll be flitting from one song, one group of singers to another because I like it all. But she said, yeah, there must be a room where I won't have to listen to that. But it's not hard what you start imagining. Yes, Father's been dead for a long time, but in my head, his voice is as real as ever. His love for the songs of the gospel are as real as ever. And you see, when I begin to imagine what heaven is like, I imagine people that are there. And I, I was thinking as we were driving down that road, just in the quiet in my head, of all those people I know who's there. That I'm going to get to spend endless time with. All those partial conversations and fleeting moments become eternity. What an opportunity is coming. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in his presence, not knowing where to fall on your knees or to sing hallelujah? You know, for decades and decades, even after the death of Jesus, death was a release. There's a reason why the old African spirituals were sung in the fields because they had nothing else to look forward with. There's a reason why when people were in prison and locked away and treated horribly that they longed for death because, you see, they expected something better. What has happened to our world, I'm afraid, in this part of the world, as we've fallen so in love with this earth, we start being afraid of death because we're afraid it's not going to be better. Oh, my God. We think it's going to be better here. Because we have a car and a house and food to eat, eat and water to drink. What if we're not going to ever need it? What about that heaven? What about that reality where everybody has plenty? Where everyone is smiling? There's no jerk living down the street. There's no problem in your checking account. You don't have one, don't need one. 
There's nothing but unreleased joy in the presence of Jesus himself. What's that going to be like? It's going to be better even than living in downtown Dallas in the upper Manhattan up on the top of the city in New York or wherever you are. It's going to be better than we can even imagine. But we must imagine it. Because if we don't let our minds go to something that's better, we get stuck in the idea that it's best here, and it's just not. The last promise he made, Matthew 28, said it again and before that in John 14. He told him, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to be leaving, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll never leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. In Matthew 28, he said, Lo, I am with you always. Now, is that a promise you can't find joy in? Yeah, you may be walking down a rough road this morning. Yeah, right now things may be going smooth for you. But I'm here to tell you that whether things are smooth or whether things are difficult, where you're confused or whether you're feeling filled with knowledge, where you know where you're going or you have no clue where you're going, you're not going there alone. You're not confused alone. Because Jesus said he would be with you through it all. If you can't find joy in that, then you really haven't found that. If you're really holding on to a religion that believes intellectually that Jesus is real and not a faith that knows that he's real, that is experiencing through the imagination all that he promised you even before it becomes reality, then you're never going to know what heaven is really like. And you say, preacher, you sound like you're trying to tell me I'm not saved. I'm not trying to tell you, but I am asking you. Do you have that joy? Do you have that certainty? I began this sermon with the idea, can you imagine their thoughts and their feelings as they were watching Jesus ascend to the heavens? I can, and I do, and I think about it often. Can you imagine sin being conquered in your life? I can. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've experienced it. It's real in my heart, and I know that the work of Christ continues in my heart. No seminary could professor could convince me otherwise. No book written by a philosophy of religion that froze Jesus in some time span and made him out to be some mythical character could convince me otherwise. Because the Jesus that I worship and that I know, I imagine him often and he's real. You're not going to convince me that's not real. You're not going to convince me that all I need to do is think of the idea. No, I don't. I need to think of the person, the one and the only person who was the Son of God. So my answer is, yes, I can. Lies don't need to grasp at what they cannot feel because the experiences of Christianity are real. They're rooted in our willingness to imagine that which we cannot see with our eyes, just like children. As a child, you must come to me. They are rooted in a foundation that it alone can sustain us.
Bart wrote. And in the middle of this song, he transformed from one verse to the second reading of it when he sang it the second time. From singing a quiet little song, I can remember when he started out the song, I can only imagine what it will be like. He was singing softly. By the time he got to the second verse, his face became radiant. Yeah, they had a little drama there for us. But the experience was what was real. Suddenly he realized he was seeing heaven and his father was there. Not his heavenly father, but his earthly father. Suddenly he knew he had forgiven him, I believe. Suddenly I knew he had hope of that, res- of that reuniting with him. And he could tell his father now that he had forgiven him and it was real. He could really imagine what it was going to be like to live eternally with his father and in his presence. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I'll be surrounded by your glory. What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you be still. I used to could walk and talk at the same time. <laughs> will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Bart wrote, it is now the best-selling song of all time. A Christian song that traveled around the globe. Millions heard it, millions remember it. You probably heard it at high school graduations and every other place in the world. I can only imagine. We're going to close this morning, and I hope that your imagination button is still working. I hope that you're bigger than the earthly realm in which you live. Because I can assure you that Jesus is. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, thank him today. Praise him. Imagine being in his presence because after all, you are. You might as well get the joy from it because you're not by yourself. Right now, he's sitting beside you. When you leave, he'll walk out with you. When you go home, he'll be right there. When you go to work tomorrow, he'll be right there. When you travel through the slug of life, he'll be right there. Yesterday, we walked up a steep hill at the baseball park. Micah and I, walking back up to where the game was, And I looked back, and Maddox was there, all 22 months of him. That hill was steep, so I'm working to get to the top, thinking, man, this may kill me. Michael Lou's already there, and I turned around, and where was Maddox? He was down on all fours, because it's too steep to stand for that little guy, and he clawed his way all the way to the top. And then when he got to the top, he looked up at me, and yeah, it had been a crawl for him, but he broke into a smile, he started laughing. He made it. He knew he was not alone, and he knew he never would be as long as he is with Papa and with Micah and with his family, and he will learn in time with his Lord. If you don't know that Lord, all you have to do is receive him. He's here. 
And he wants to fill your heart and your mind with joy so that your joy might be made full.